You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Continue here. We're in this series uh, we're calling Word of Life, learning from Jesus, from Jesus' own teaching, his own words, quotations from Jesus. We, of course, we know that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all useful. Um, yet there's something particularly powerful about the words of Christ himself. So we're continuing to learn from him. Uh, maybe in an unexpected spot in the scriptures this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. So if you would get to 2 Corinthians 11, uh, starting at verse 16, that's going to be the beginning of our passage today, and we're going to go all the way into chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, So from time to time, uh, I'll give kind of an update on uh, plans regarding my family and uh, the things that we believe the Lord's called us to. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we are believing that the Lord has uh, put it in our hearts to uh, go and live among unreached people and to uh, learn language, learn culture, uh, and really establish our lives in a place where Jesus is not known, not even named. Uh, There's no Christian church, uh, very little or no gospel witness. This is what we call unreached peoples or unreached people groups. Um, And in particular, we have felt a a draw, a calling to go to uh, Thailand. And so we've been making plans and arranging our lives around doing that. And uh, one of the big things that we needed to do in order to be able to move our lives to the other side of the planet, of course, was sell our house. And and praise God, that happened. Uh, We were able to sell our house and uh, moved into an apartment in Tomball, and, uh, and on day one acquired some great neighbors, Patrick and Britton, our neighbors now, so uh, we'll, let's make the best use of the time and, uh, and be neighbors and reach that place for Christ. So uh, uh, yeah, that's where we're at right now. We've sold our house, we're continuing to raise funds and, uh, and just gather support. Uh, that we need. We, we need the church behind us, not just a Genesis, but the church of God we need behind us in order to do this and really commit our lives to it. So that's where we're at right now, is just continuing in that process moving forward. Um, we have right now all of the one-time costs of actually moving our lives uh, to Thailand. All of that's been covered, which is so much more money than I thought it would be. Uh, but uh, praise God, he supplied for that. And we're, we're nearly halfway there as far as like monthly commitments uh, to just uh, maintain life in Thailand. So um, really just encouraged and encouraged by all of you. You've been, I know, praying and uh, remembering us and encouraging us and uh, really great and faithful friends. So thank you. And um, that's where we're at right now. So we had originally back in January set uh, a departure time of July and, uh, and Jenny has been really sick and many of you know that, but she's been, that's why she's not here this morning. She's been really sick for uh, five or six weeks now, uh, real severe kind of weakness uh, and sleeplessness and things like that. Um, and she's a Christian and enduring that Uh, looking to God um, and seeing doctors and those things. And she feels a little better now than she did a couple weeks ago. So thankful for that uh, relief. But that's uh, set us back as far as July goes. So we're looking towards the fall probably right now is is what we think maybe the Lord's doing. But we're just holding all that very open-handed. And we've, we've been doing that from the very beginning because obviously it's God's mission uh, we're God's people, this is God's church, all the money in the world belongs to God and, and uh, the cells in our body belong to God and he wields all of those resources for his own purposes, his own glory and his own timing um, and we're just aware of that, really have a heightened awareness right now of God's sovereignty. I uh, just told uh, Jenny the other day, I shared a little bit with the elders in our uh, meeting earlier this week. I've just, I've never been more aware of the sovereignty of God in my whole life than I am right now. 
which is a sweet spot, really sweet. No matter what's going on, no matter what kind of trials and things like that, to have a real heightened awareness of God's sovereignty is so comforting. Uh, and that's where I find myself right now. So I'm really encouraged by that. That's grace. Um, okay, so that's an update for me. Uh, if you have any more questions about that or anything, of course, come and ask. Uh, I, I got to get out of here a little bit quickly today because uh, today is Jossie's birthday, her 13th birthday. And we have, I know, th- was that a, was that an aw or was that like a, oh, She's, she's not typical 13-year-old. She's such a special person. And uh, not that all 13-year-olds aren't special people. They are. I don't know, Blaine. I think maybe there's something here. Something about depravity. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so we're going to a birthday party for her after church today, but, uh, catch me sometime if you want to talk about Thailand and hear what the Lord's doing. Okay. So second Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, we're starting in verse 16, going to read through 1210, just as we normally do. I'll read this. Uh, I'm, I'm really not trying to sneak up on you with this being teaching directly from Jesus. He speaks directly in this passage, um, and you'll see that in chapter 12. So starting at verse 16 of chapter 11, I'll read out loud if you would follow along, and then once we've read our passage, uh, I'll lead us in prayer and asking for the Lord's help. Paul says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. He's setting you up to understand this isn't him being sincere. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, who was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. God, we in light of this passage, want to come to this time together and collectively all, please put it in our hearts, Lord, right now, even as I ask you, we want to all collectively confess to you, we are weak. We are weak. We need you. We're not only weak in comparison to you, Lord, we're weak in comparison to one another. We all have failings, sin in our lives, limitations, fears, anxieties, ailments, afflictions, worries, doubts. Lord, we are weak, truly. Who is weak and we are not weak? But we come to you in this weakness, confessing it, acknowledging it, calling it what it is, Lord. Please help us to be honest before you this morning. We are weak. We are in need of you. And we're believing this morning that you can meet us there, that you're pleased to meet us there in that confession in that reality, in that honesty, and to express your power toward us in grace. So please teach us right now from your word, by your Holy Spirit, through your servant, speak to our hearts, open the eyes and ears of our hearts to hear you, to learn from you, to be led by you, to be transformed into the image of Christ so that when we leave this place today, we will be more like Jesus than when we came here. Help us, God. In our weakness, by your grace, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this passage if I can just kind of introduce it for you, Paul is answering his opponents. When I say his opponents, I mean those who are opposing the gospel message, the message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. He had opponents who were opposing this message and they were boasting in their own greatness and in their own strength. Their elite status as religious Jews, people who weren't in need of forgiveness and grace and these things because in and of themselves they had learned to walk with God with such integrity and such righteousness, being holy, that this death on a cross in their place was absolute foolishness to them. It was a message they didn't believe they needed to hear because they were excellent in their devotion to God. And this pride led them to become opponents of the gospel. And so Paul here, in opposition to their boasting, chooses to boast in things that show his weakness rather than things that would show his strength. See how first he shows that he has this standing in a natural kind of foolish sense, the way he describes it, as a Jew, as an apostle, to boast about himself. He's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, he's a son of Abraham, he's a servant of Christ. He says, I'm speaking as a fool, I'm speaking as a fool. He doesn't want you to think he's being sincere in this boasting. He's kind of showing them, this is what it looks like, this is the game you're playing. 
This is the foolishness that you're engaging in to try to boast and, and put yourself on a pedestal and make yourself look great to try to be impressive to other people and even impressive to God. But then quickly, after he shows this foolishness, he begins to list things that show not his strength, but his weakness. And this is here in uh, chapter 11. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I dare to boast of that. Hebrews, me too. Israelites, me too. Offspring of Abraham, me too. Servants of Christ, a better one. Talking as a madman. Now look at this list that he goes on to boast in. Greater labors, imprisonments, beatings, often near death. Does that sound like a ministry that's really thriving? Things are really going well? Man, what, a, what an excellent leader you must be. What a great proclaimer of this message of yours you must be. Five times received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. That was the apex of punishment that could be handed out by the Jews. They believed that 40 lashes would kill a person, certainly. 39 would just bring him to the point of death without sending him mercifully over. Beaten with rods, stoned once, three times shipwrecked. Who in the world can say on their resume they've been shipwrecked three times? You almost want to accuse him of some bad decisions at this point. What kind of boats are you getting on? <laughs> a night and a day, a drifted sea, frequent journeys, not settled, in other words. Danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, Gentiles, the city, the wilderness, the sea, false brothers, toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, starving, cold and exposed to the elements. All of these things he's quote unquote boasting in are things that are showing his weaknesses, not his excellence, not his strength. He even caps the list off here with his anxiety over all the churches. Even where he has been and had success and there are churches planted and disciples made, people worshiping God, believing the gospel, even in his success, he sits in a prison cell anxious over their well-being. He ends with this rhetorical question, who is weak and I am not weak? In other words, if there's a weak person on earth, it's me. He goes on to describe an experience he had with the Lord, caught up in a vision, hearing and seeing things too great to tell. He says it's forbidden that he should even speak of these things. Revelations of truth from the Lord. He's describing this here in the beginning of chapter 12. He says, I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse two, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, which is another way of saying heaven where God's presence is. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. Now, what's happening here is he's been intentionally speaking as a fool and is boasting, but now in his genuine humility, a person who's been humbled by God, suffered so much for the sake of the gospel, he doesn't want to continue speaking as a fool for the sake of argument, so he describes the experience that he has had with the Lord in the third person, deflecting the attention, as if it was a man he knows who received these revelations and not himself. This is him speaking out of genuine humility. And yet, even in his humility, he's acknowledging, I've received visions, revelations from the Lord so wonderful that they cannot be spoken. Now, how easy would it be for any one of us if we were caught up into paradise, into the Lord's presence, in some experience of ecstasy with God that we ourselves don't even know if we were in the body or in the spirit, 
It was such pleasure, such joy, such comfort with the Lord and hearing such amazing truth from God himself that when we're back kind of in the body, in the present and and with the people around us, we're so overwhelmed with the truth, the joy, the wonderful nature of what we've heard that we realize this is too wonderful to tell. Now, how easy would it be to become prideful? To believe that there's some kind of elite status connected to you as a Christian. God has chosen you to reveal these kinds of wonderful things to and nobody else seems to be experiencing this kind of thing with God. How easy would it be, even if you never spoke it, but to just believe in your heart that you know God like no one else knows God? That you're closer and more devoted to him than anybody else is? that you're special to him in some way that no one else is? How easy would it be? So he says here in verse seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's acknowledging there was a temptation there to become conceited. But in order to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now this is debated, it's been debated throughout church history, what exactly this was. What form did it take? Well, it's pretty clear the form that it took in some ways, but maybe we can't get too specific about it. We know that it was a thorn given him in the flesh, so it had something to do with a physical ailment, but he also calls it a messenger of Satan to harass him. So there was some kind of also demonic force coming up against him that was just harassing him. I I don't know what saying what. I'm not even gonna try to imagine it or giving you some kind of possibility. I could imagine a lot of discouragement. These things were given to him to keep him from becoming conceited. Now, not becoming conceited is a good thing, right? So then who gave him this good thing? The Lord did. We, we often struggle with the idea of God causing pain, okay? And, and you may be somewhere on the spectrum of no, God would never, or you may be over here like, yes, God does always, But at least in the middle, we can say that God, just by nature of his sovereignty, if pain exists, then he at least allows it. Can we agree on that? God at least allows pain in the world. And he, at a minimum here, allowed a messenger of Satan to harass Paul and some kind of physical affliction, a thorn in his flesh so that he would not become conceited because of these surpassing revelations that he received. Now look at verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this thorn, this harassment. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, there is so much here that we can learn from Paul. But remember, what we've set our hearts on is learning directly from Jesus. So as much as we can learn from Paul, and there's so much... I mean, you're you're learning from him just by reading the scriptures. I want to zero in with you on the quotation that Paul gives here. And it is a quotation. He's saying, Jesus said these words to me. He quotes them. We can take them as the literal words of Jesus and not just as a paraphrase or something that Paul felt in his heart from the Lord the way many of us might say, you know, I I was here, I was struggling with this and then God just said to me, What we really mean most of the time is I had this impression that what God was telling me in my heart was this. That's not what's happening here. Jesus actually spoke to him and said these words, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect 
in weakness. When Paul, for the third time now, in in a span of time that stretches at least 14 years, at least 14 years, he's asked three times for this to be removed. Now, uh, try to be in this place with Paul, if you can, for just a minute. Be in this place with him. Do you think in a span of time lasting at least 14 years to have three seasons of life where you're pleading with God to remove from you this messenger of Satan to harass you, this affliction in your flesh that never leaves you, that inhibits you, that limits you? Three seasons of prayer in 14 years at least? Does he seem impatient in affliction? This seems exceedingly patient in affliction to me. Three times he pleaded with the Lord to remove it from him. And after this third time, pleading with the Lord to remove this thorn, this affliction that nagged him, weakened him, the Lord had a decisive answer for him finally. The answer is My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want to ask you to stop right now and pray with me. Lord, right here at this moment, I want to ask you if you will please have mercy on us. Please overcome our weakness, Lord, by convincing us of it. We need your power. Please help us, God, every one of us, to not be here before you under the authority of your word with prideful hearts with self-sufficient hearts, delusional. Please help us right now to deal in reality with your Holy Spirit working in us. We look to you for this right now, God, in Jesus' name, amen. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want to ask you, can you identify with Paul in the moment when he heard Jesus say these words to him? Can you identify with him? Can you imagine his prayer? Lord, please help me. Please deliver me from this affliction. I know you hear me. I know you have the power. You can just will it to be and I'll be set free from this pain, from this torment. Can you identify with this prayer? Have you ever pleaded with God in this kind of way? I know you can do it. I know you have the power. I know that if you just will it to be, it'll be done. Have you ever recounted to God his power in creating the universe? as you appeal to him to just create health, to just create a correction, to just create some kind of relief. In comparison to his creation of the whole universe, it would seem like nothing to ask. And you plead with him this way. And then you continue in your affliction. Can you identify? Maybe it hasn't just been three seasons for you. In the course of 14 plus years, maybe it's been a lifetime. Or maybe it's been 300 seasons just in the course of one year. We're not gonna compare our afflictions to Paul's. He's given a healthy list. And it's not to say that someone couldn't outdo him in weakness, because it's possible. It's possible to be more afflicted to him than to suffer more than he did. But that's not the point. 
The point is the state of anguish in the soul as you're yearning for relief from the God who is capable. And yet your prayer ends and the pain doesn't. Can you identify? His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. In case he's not heard yet, let me put it before you again. His grace is sufficient. This is a declaration from Jesus to the weak, to the suffering, to the afflicted, to the anxious. His grace is sufficient. You notice the way Jesus spoke to Paul. He didn't say my grace was sufficient. My grace has been sufficient. My grace will be sufficient. He says perpetually my grace is sufficient. No matter when you think of it, no matter when you're praying, no matter how long you've been afflicted, always, always grace is sufficient. Jesus will often give us grace to endure instead of giving us what we ask for. And this is sufficient for us. Now the friction comes when we don't believe it. You know what I mean? Remember, this is a morning of, of extreme devotion to honesty about ourselves, about our hearts, about our weaknesses. The friction with Jesus' declaration comes not in belief, but in unbelief. A reluctance to accept that grace in this affliction will be sufficient for me. That I, yes, I need grace, but I also need. Jesus here omits any possibility of a further need beyond his grace. His grace is sufficient. So when this feeling of inadequacy comes sweeping over you, again, I wanna invite you to relate. I know I can. I can relate, I live with a constant sense of inadequacy. Maybe you're not like me. This is the way I live, in constant awareness of my inadequacy, not by a decision of mine, but just because it's become so clear to me. I am failing, I am falling short, I am weak. I'm limited in ways that I have not found ways to overcome. I've read books, I've read blogs, I've tried strategies. There are certain weaknesses I have that I realize now are part of me. And I've pleaded with God through tears, weeping. Please God, make me different. And yet I stand before you with the same weaknesses that I've had for decades. He keeps saying no. He keeps saying no to those pleadings. To snap his fingers, to say a word, to will it to be and make it different. He keeps choosing not to do that. This feeling of inadequacy comes sweeping over us, the belief that we cannot do it, that we don't have the strength to endure, that we don't have the wisdom to navigate. Our bodies want to quit, our minds want to retreat, our hearts want to implode. You know this place? This awareness of your own inadequacy, your lack of power, 
That's a place that only honest people are willing to go. But we've all felt it. To sit there and and acknowledge it and ponder it and philosophize over it and pray about it and plead with God about it is a place of real devotion to honesty. Most of us just experience the inadequacy but are unwilling to acknowledge it. We just want to keep on existing at some surface level human power, trying over and over and over again to correct it, to overcome it, to circumnavigate it. Maybe I can live in a way where I don't have to be strong like that. And it keeps failing and failing and failing and we keep trying and trying and trying. But I want to invite you this morning to be devoted enough to honesty that you will with me ponder and pray about, seek God about, plead with him about, and receive his answers about our weakness. The truth from the mouth of Jesus himself is this. His grace is sufficient for us. Now, what happens when I, when I declare what Jesus declared is one of two things. Either you're in this place of open-heartedness to the Lord and you go, all my experience contradicts that. My emotions contradict that. The course of my life contradicts that. I don't know how I can intellectually receive that knowing that my life is falling apart in all these ways. And yet here you are telling telling me that your grace is sufficient. But I know that this is Jesus talking and so I'm going to receive that as being true in contradiction to everything else I might feel. You understand what I'm talking about? Will you allow the truth of God's word to contradict you and you just accept that? That if either you or God is wrong, it's you. Right? If you have to make a decision. And then there's the other thing that can happen in us. And it is the height of foolishness. To come to a point of decision about either Jesus is right here or I am and I'm having trouble really squaring things with what Jesus says. So, and Jesus, try, try again. Try that a different way. Say that a different way. It can't be what you really meant. Just this all-inclusive categorical statement My grace is sufficient for you in all cases, at all times, in every circumstance. His grace is sufficient. And yet, my experience tells me there's an insufficiency. There's a lack. There's a void. There's something I need that isn't being given to me. I know what it is. I keep asking him to do it. And he keeps withholding. So frustrating. I know what I need, God. I've been telling you for years. You hear as I, as I describe this, this mental narrative, right, that happens, this, this heartfelt kind of frustration that maybe doesn't come out in vocabulary, but our hearts are saying it. We cannot land in this place. We have to come to the point of decision where this contradiction is happening. My grace is sufficient for you. Man, it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but it's you talking. And this gut-wrenching, kind of heartfelt, extremely difficult, contradictory decision we have to make where we just entrust ourselves to the words of Jesus. It's so hard. 
This is the point in Christianity where, where the, the battle that we're waging, if, if we're all kind of enlisted in God's army and we're trying to take ground for the kingdom of God, this is where it feels less like flying over to shooting missiles at a scattering enemy and it feels much more like just digging trenches. Just back is breaking the, the sun is beating down on us so hot, dripping with sweat, standing next to other afflicted people, just digging and digging and digging for years. It feels like this is how we're taking ground for the kingdom of God. These decisions that we have to make to violate our own sense of reality and accept what Jesus declares as real. My grace is sufficient for you. It is his grace that will sustain you, not your adequacy, not your strength, not your wisdom. His grace. Whether you know it or not. I know I say that a lot. This is the truth of God, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, his grace is sufficient for you even when you don't believe it is. That's what grace is. It's something that's happening to you that is good that you don't deserve. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You weren't asking for it. God in his own mercy and love to you bestowed a gift upon you. Grace. And it sustains, it keeps you going when there's nothing inside of you to keep you going. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, says this about these verses. He says that grace signifies two things. If you're asking the question, okay, Jesus, I believe you, My gra- your grace is sufficient for me. Now, what does that mean? He says grace signifies two things. The first thing is the good will of God toward us. The good will of God toward us. The second thing is this, the good work of God in us. Grace given to us signifies the good will of God toward us and the good work of God in us. He loves us. And he is working in us. God is devoted to us. And that's why he gives us grace. And his grace works. It sustains. It's sufficient in every circumstance. When we find ourselves weak, inadequate, overwhelmed, this is what I pray we will do. We will believe Jesus wholeheartedly and entrust ourselves to his grace. Just throw ourselves on it. Please hear me. Please hear Jesus and believe. You will never regret confessing your weakness and relying on the grace of God to sustain you. Never, you will never regret it. You will always be glad that you chose to rely on the grace of God rather than yourself. Now in the moment, it's so tempting because here you are, you're right here, you can see you, you can see your notepad, you can see your partner, and you guys can concoct a bunch of plans that sound super smart. And where is God? Invisible, in the heavens. But he has said these words and they are everlastingly true. His grace is sufficient for us. Your weakness, your pain, your inadequacy might continue for the rest of your life. We're being honest, right? These things might continue for the rest of your life. Jesus might say to your request for deliverance, no. But he will always say, my grace is sufficient for you.
He will never say no without giving you grace to endure. Never. The, the saying goes, he'll never lead you where his grace won't sustain you. It's a true saying, accept it. Anywhere God says yes, he says so for good purposes for you. And anywhere he says no, he gives you grace to endure the affliction. Now, when you come to the realization that you can't, which is an enormous thing, it's a monumental moment in a person's life, when they sincerely come to the realization that they can't, fill in the blank, I can't, I cannot be good enough, I cannot secure the future, I cannot secure the salvation of my children or the salvation of my spouse, I cannot uh, overcome my weaknesses so that I don't need others in my life in that way. I cannot find the answer to my affliction so that I don't have to feel this pain anymore. I can't. When a person finally comes to the realization that they can't, Jesus will express through his empowering grace to you that he can. He can. So here's, here's the form this usually takes. I can't go on living like this. When we come to a real place of desperation, of emergency in our souls, and we feel pleading with God that if he doesn't say yes to this, we cannot go on. Jesus is there with grace to say, he can. He can. And he can through you. This is this strange place where Paul uh, later on says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me. When we come to the realization we can't and we turn to God and we plead with him for grace to endure, he will through us. He will endure through us. He will be faithful through us. Now, Jesus didn't only express that his grace was sufficient for Paul. He also expressed the reason for giving grace rather than relief. Notice the second part of his quotation there. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. And again, we're, being, we're devoted to honesty this morning. That sounds weird, right? What does that mean? As if his power was imperfect? I, I, I argue here that what Jesus is saying is it's not a problem with his power. It's where a person is relying on themselves. Jesus is unwilling to give a full manifestation of his power in that person. He's unwilling. He's able. God can do anything. His power is perfect. But where a person is prideful and self-reliant, Jesus says, now, I've got power, I've got grace, and you're experiencing some of that. But until you're really humble before me and aware of your need, acknowledging your weakness, you will not express a full manifestation of the power of Christ. I don't want to be in that place. Do you? Where there is power from Christ available and it's not experienced because of my self-reliance. Oh man, I don't want that. And the answer is to acknowledge our weakness, not rail against it, not pretend it doesn't exist, but to confess it, to go ahead and be weak before God. It's in this place that we experience the power of Christ in our lives by abandoning any hope of power in ourselves, abandoning any hope of it. 
The power of Christ within us, the power of his Holy Spirit to transform us, to lead us, to teach us, to fill us with unconquerable joy and live lives worthy of the gospel. This power is revealed, it's unleashed on the people of God when we increasingly confess our weakness and trust in the grace of Christ. To trust in the grace of Christ even when it contradicts our experience, contradicts our intellectual capacity, our ability to connect all the dots and see how it works, this is when you will experience the power of Christ. When we genuinely believe that we are wretched sinners saved by grace. When that's not just a tagline, you know what I'm saying? When that's not just a bumper sticker or a coffee mug, or your email signature, but when you actually adopt that mentality, that belief, you you cause it to be an indwelling truth that you've embraced, I am wretched before God. Only by his grace am I saved, am I anything, am I alive? when we acknowledge that we are humble before God, when we abandon the notion that apart from the grace of Christ, we can even breathe, then in that place, in that spirit, the power of Christ will rest upon us. It will remain with us. It will strengthen us. Is there anything in life you yearn for more than the power of Christ resting upon you? That every day of your life, every moment, every circumstance, every affliction, every trial, every bit of pain, that the power of Christ is just resting upon you that it defines your experience. It defines the state of your heart, the state of your mind, the state of your soul, that there isn't anything this world could throw at you that you wouldn't feel that you are secure, that you can have joy, that you can endure, that your hope in Christ is well-placed. Is there anything you want more? If there is, I encourage you this morning to change teams because this is it. This is living life, that the power of Christ would rest upon you. And how will it rest upon you? At the risk of being redundant, let me say it again because I know I need to hear it. It is through acknowledging, accepting, embracing our own weakness in humility before God, not trusting in ourselves, but believing that the grace of Christ is sufficient for us. So in the most horrific, heart-wrenching, painful circumstances, We are alive in Christ and we know it. Paul says to the Colossians in the first chapter, starting in verse nine, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you're trusting in the sufficient grace of Christ, 
This is you. This is the tone of your life, the flavor of your life, the aroma of your life. A person who is trusting not in themselves because they know themselves. Weak, limited, failing, sinful, wretched. Trusting instead in an all-sufficient Christ whose grace sustains in the most unthinkable, horrible, painful, tragic circumstances can cause you to endure faithfully. So here's the point of, of the sermon where I want to ask you to ingest this truth in a very personal way. To ingest this in a very personal way. What is that thing that weakness, that ailment, that affliction, that fear, that anxiety that you have been presenting to God. Please deliver me. Please deliver me. And it continues to be your prayer because God continues to say no. What is it? You know what it is. I want you to hear right now in this moment of honesty, of reality, this kind of gut-wrenching, trench warfare Christianity with me. Please hear Jesus say to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's through an expression of his power in your weakness that Christ is revealing himself to you. That's why he said no so far. That's why he said no. To reveal to you his sufficiency and to drive the truth of it and the enjoyment of it so deep into your heart that you would become more like Christ in your adherence to the truth of God's sovereign care for you. Jesus entrusted himself fully to the Father's care, so much so that he was willing to be buried dead. Buried dead. Now because you're sitting in a chair breathing, listening to me speak, you have not yet reached the point of affliction that you are buried dead. But Christ has exceeded you. He's gone before you. He has entrusted himself to the Father's care so completely that he was willing to be buried dead. And God raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead so that you and I could appeal to a risen savior, an intercessor at the right hand of God who's gone before us, acquainted with our grief, acquainted with our afflictions, well aware of every temptation known to man, yet without sin, so that we might call on him and have a high priest who is acquainted with our suffering. And he says, I know, I know. I know how it feels, I was there, I went before you, I've been afflicted to the point of buried dead. Trust in my grace to sustain you. My grace is sufficient for you, even buried dead. If it's the will of God to raise you from the dead, no one can stop it. If it's the will of God to afflict you so that your body would be so weak it's barely clinging to life, yet your soul is flourishing with joy before your creator, it cannot be stopped. And what a gift. What a transcendent, eternal gift to be so healthy, so full of life, so full of power from Christ 
that the death of your body would mean nothing to you. Pain in your body would just press you to the God you know. Weakness in you makes you more aware of the sufficiency of God in you. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that it's producing perseverance in you. And let perseverance have its full effect that the man of God might be complete, lacking in nothing. What does it mean to be lacking in nothing? It certainly doesn't have anything to do with your bodily health or your circumstances or your comfort. It has everything to do with your enjoyment of the grace of God, the power of Christ resting upon you. This is living. This is life. This is the word of Christ. Accept it. Arrange your life around it. Repent of whatever violates, contradicts, and embrace and cast yourself upon whatever agrees. The grace of Christ is sufficient for us, for his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, we will boast all the more gladly in our weaknesses, so that the power of Christ might rest upon us for the sake of Christ then, will you agree with me that we will be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities? We will be content for when we're weak, then we are strong. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.